0: Sifter, the podcast.
1: News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming, action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. The Oscar nominations came out yesterday. The Power of the Dog, as expected, led with 12 nominations, including Best Picture. Dune had 10 awards, including Best Picture. West Side Story and Belfast each got seven, including Best Picture. And the other Best Picture nominees are Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, and Coda, which was my favorite. By the way, my reviews of all of them are on Sifter. 35 years ago in 1987, I was just a wee tot and couldn't go see Dirty Dancing. Pause for laughter. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. No, actually, I was reviewing movies for CBS 6 in those days, and I couldn't find my old review of Dirty Dancing, but I do remember seeing it and being impressed by the music and the dancing like everybody else, and as everybody knows, it made a splash at the box office. It's been a cult classic ever since. It's even been a stage musical, and a lot of it was shot at Mountain Lake Lodge in Pembroke, Virginia it's been a popular destination ever since
0: nobody
2: puts baby in the corner this is the real dirty dance
1: eight celebrities compete to become the real baby and johnny just last week fox launched the real dirty dancing a dance competition that we'll talk more about right now because i'm thrilled to be talking with two people heidi stone who is the resort ceo of mountain lake lodge and is it dan or daniel martin either way works for me Okay. Dan or Daniel Martin, who is an Emmy Emmy, Emmy nominated, that's easy for me to say, who is an Emmy nominated producer of shows that you may have heard of, like Dancing with the Stars and Mass Dancer and Mass Singer. And he's also the showrunner for The Real Dirty Dancing. Thank you all for coming on the Zifter podcast today. Uh, Thanks for having us. First of all, Heidi, why don't you give us a quick rundown on the history of Mountain Lake Lodge, which I know dates back to the 1800s.
3: Yeah. And actually it was the late 1700s that Christopher Gist actually stumbled onto the property. So yeah, it goes back several hundred years. If you come today, we clearly have cabins on the property that are over 150 years old. And the big iconic Stone Lodge that everybody knows was built in 1936. So we're pretty rich with history
1: before Dirty Dancing was ever filmed here. Right. What do y'all do to celebrate the history of Dirty Dancing before this? We'll get to the 35th anniversary, but up until now.
3: Sure. Those Dirty Dancing themed weekends, we have five or six of those a year. But because they sell out at least a year in advance... We have the Kellerman's film package that we have that people can come 365 days a year. And it's all themed Kellerman's uh, special gifts and all kinds of giveaways and the screening of the movie. And so we have special things all year round that you can come to for Dirty Dancing.
1: And I understand if I heard right that big dancing weekend celebrations are already booked for 2022. Yeah, they were booked a year ago. Wow, that's great. A lot of people want to get outside, and this is a great way to do it. Dan or Daniel, let's switch to you. How how did the idea for this come about?
2: Well, I wish I could take full credit for the idea, but production company Eureka actually created this show for the Australian group back working with Heidi three years ago. Uh So it aired in Australia, and then around the same time, they sold the idea to Fox to make a U.S. version. And when it came time to make the show, they asked me to come in and showrun it.
1: The version that was shot for Australia, was that also shot at Mountain Lake Lodge, Heidi? Well,
0: yes, Jerry, it was. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, that's great. So I know that the, the real Dirty Dancing, the one for Fox that Daniel worked on, was shot last August, which, of course, the weather was much better than it is right now in Richmond, if you could see it. Why did you wait from August till now, or why did Fox wait from August till now to now to decide to air it? Well, you've always got to find the
2: right time to air. Honestly, while we were shooting in August... The fall schedule was pretty much set. Right. So the network was looking for the perfect opening in the spring of the new year, coinciding with the 35th anniversary to put it out there for all the fans and viewers.
1: Makes sense. Why don't you give people just a quick rundown of what exactly the competition involves?
2: Well, essentially, we took eight celebrities up to Mountain Lake Lodge, where they're literally reliving the movie Dirty Dancing. It's a competitive reality show but along the way, they're participating in challenges that incorporate acting and dancing, recreating scenes from the movie. And then they would learn a routine in which they would put some of their own creative into in 24 hours and 24 hours later, they have to perform it in front of each other and in front of judges.
1: Now, let me add, you mentioned, which they had some input into, of course, Kenny Ortega was the original choreographer for the movie and he's a great choreographer. Did they have somebody helping them a little bit? I mean, I can't imagine you sit eight people down a room and say, okay, y'all just figure it out. Did they have some a little bit of help to kind of help them shape it?
2: Well, we definitely had some help. So our main choreographers were Jonathan and Oksana Platero, fantastic dancers. I've worked with them on Dancing with the Stars and So You Think You Can Dance. And they came aboard to help incorporate some of the great original choreography that Kenny Ortega did into a variety of different routines, all the way leading up to the final routine in which we recreated Kenny Ortega's moves step for step.
1: The lift, of course.
2: Of course.
1: I <laughs> kind of have the lift. So now I noticed, speaking of the movie again, there's lots of clips from the movie. Almost every time they show something from the competition, then they'll show the scene in the movie. So how did you have to work with the original producers for The It's Too bad it wasn't a Fox movie, because that would have made life a lot easier for you.
2: <laughs> uh, it certainly would have. Uh, Lionsgate actually owns the right. rights, the intellectual property rights. Right. So Eureka partnered with Lionsgate in order to come up with this concept and agree on this concept before it was sold to Fox.
1: Footnote: Something else interesting that Dan told me after the podcast was that when they did the scene recreations, they rented the same lenses that were used in the filming of the original Dirty Dancing, and then they sent them off to be projected on film and then re-digitized. As he explained, I was trying to do whatever possible to come as close to the original movie outside of actually shooting on film. So, let me ask you both the same question from a different point of view. Daniel, I'll ask you what was the biggest challenge in putting the show together as a production? And Heidi, what was the biggest challenge on having this madness, which I've been on a set, I know what it's like at Mountain Lake Lodge for however long they were there?
3: Why did you think there was challenges, Jerry? <laughs> Cuz <'Cause> I've been <laughs> on a <the> set. <laughs> it was it was piece of cake, really. Uh, no, it, it was challenging and we were coming out still of a lot going on in the world 2020 and 21 everyone came to the mountains right they came to the mountains and they stayed in the cabin because you know it was a nice safe place they felt safe to come here, so I think the challenge was finding space for the production finding rooms, you know, just the logistics of of doing something like this. It was certainly challenging. And I know it was challenging for Dan and his team as well. We were already mm, sold close to sold out. Probably the, the logistics of accommodating uh everyone was was certainly the biggest
1: challenge. And I noticed sometimes I remember the, uh, the most recent Steven Soderbergh movie, which he shot on the Queen Mary, I think, and they actually ended up pulling a lot of the passengers into it to be extras and stuff. Did you ever get to work with any of the people? Were they standing around gawking or how did that work out for you? All the
2: guests at the resort were very accommodating. We tried not to trot on their experience too much and nobody stood around and interfered with ours, but they were all very gracious. So they took time with the celebrities, celebrities took time with them when they had time. And so we definitely had no issues there. I do want to say quickly, what's really impressive to me about what Heidi and her team did is that they were nearly full capacity, which means they were doing their full-time job, which is already more than just a normal job. Right. And then we come in and you've been on sets, you know, a locations manager, that's a full-time job. Absolutely. Heidi and her team were taking care of us. It's rooming. It was food. It was accommodation for spaces, working between different productions that they were doing. So Heidi had two very full-time jobs. At least I only had one.
1: Good, good. <laughs> uh, now, was it all shot at Mountain Lake Lodge or were there some sound stage? The reason I'm asking is because I've only seen the first episode, obviously, because that's all that's aired and the staff quarters, which is where this number happens with the watermelons, felt almost like it was a sound stage. Was that actually in the staff quarters or did you just shoot that somewhere else and then do some of the other scenes there?
2: The original film actually shot that on a soundstage in Los Angeles. Right. But we recreated that scene at Mary's Barn on the property of Mountain Lake Lodge. Cool. It was our own little soundstage.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, wow, that's amazing. Everybody's watched reality shows at this point, I'm assuming. How long did you actually shoot the whole thing? I know it it's happened supposedly in 24 hours, 24 hours, 24 hours, 24 hours. But how long were you actually at Mountain Lake Lodge shooting?
2: Our shooting period was just under two weeks. It was 12 days. A VTR, but only eight days with full camera and crew. Part of the team was on scene for more than a month. And then the celebrities were... I think the longest ones were there for 13 days.
1: Oh, wow. So it did go pretty fast. There wasn't a lot of downtime for them. It was pretty fast and furious. One of the interesting things I noticed about this first episode is that there are no judges, that the actual contestants judge each other, which is kind of an interesting twist. I haven't seen that before. Has that been done before? I think
2: people have done it in smaller ways, not with bigger results in the way that we did. But we wanted to do that for the first episode because it gave them a chance to examine each other and understand their friendship and also the talent and ability levels of those around them. So as they're judging each other, they're also sharing that with the audience. Right. So that was really beneficial for us.
1: We got three episodes left. What can we expect? Tell us all the details.
2: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, first of all, in terms of judges, we have a very special guest judge for episode two and another one for episode three. Okay. I'm allowed to say now that in episode two, Jane Brucker, uh, is coming in to guest judge
1: footnote jane Brucker plays baby sister lisa in the original movie and is actually from falls church virginia
2: she came back to well kellerman's for the first time in 35 years uh, to uh, participate wow. in the show
1: that's good news about episode two what else can we expect coming up in episode two even three and four come on tell us who wins come on daniel you can tell us nobody's listening
2: <laughs> definitely not going to tell you who wins you'll have to watch to find out but I will say that as the competition continues, we're recreating even more of your favorite scenes. So when they're crawling on the floor saying, how do you call your lover boy? Oh, Going wow. down to the log in the woods and dancing. And finally, all coming together in the ballroom for the end of summer talent show where they recreate time of my life and do that iconic lift.
1: All four of them won't still be there.
2: Uh, there's only two couples in the final episode. Right, so we we'll okay. go from four down to two.
1: Got it. So th- they'll both perform it and then the judge or somebody will decide and you won't tell us who will make that decision at this point.
2: I will tell you, cause it's really exciting with Heidi's help and the help of other people in the area. We gathered a lot, like hundreds of really avid diehard dirty dancing fans brought them into the ballroom. So they actually participated. They watched both performances and then voted on which couple they thought deserved to win.
1: Wow. That's very cool. That's fun. Well, that's a real smart way to do it, to get the uh, fans invited.
2: Yeah, you might even see Heidi in that final scene.
1: Uh, (laughs) We'll have to look for you. I'll have my pause button ready just in case. So my final question, I always like to ask everybody, and Heidi, we'll start with you. What are you watching right now? What's big on your streaming or what movies have you seen lately?
3: Oh, Jerry, I'm drinking from a fire hydrant right now of all the publicity that is going on from the show. It is on fire. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) So let me tell you, If I had time to watch TV, the only show I have watched this week is The Real Dirty Dancing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Great. Daniel, how about you? What are you uh, checking out when you have some time? Just to be perfectly
2: open and frank with my answer, the only TV show I've watched this week, other than still working on the edit of some of these episodes, was the newest episode of Euphoria.
1: You know, I tried that the first season and it just didn't speak to me. I I, I couldn't get into it. Maybe I should try it again.
2: Like, it's a beautiful show. It's so well written and made, but it's a hard show. Yeah, it is. Every time I watch an episode, I have to go away and like watch an episode of The Office or something similar, just so I can laugh a little.
1: Generation, which is a similar kind of show. Did you ever see that with the T the in it as a plus? A very similar show, but for me, for some reason, it worked a lot better. But I don't know if you've seen that.
2: Oh, interesting. I'll check it out.
1: Folks, this has been great. This has been very informative and interesting. I can't wait to see what happens in episode three and four and who actually becomes Johnny and Baby. Thank you both. And um, any final words?
2: It's on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m., only on Fox.
1: There you go. You didn't hear that.
3: It's Tuesday night on Fox at 9
1: (laughs) p.m. That's great. I guess there's a little echo or something here. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you very much, (laughs) Jerry. Jerry. For anyone who missed that, how could you? The show's on Fox on Tuesdays at 9 p.m., with two more shows left in the series. You can also catch up when it streams on Hulu. From one beautiful mountain location to a whole festival that celebrates Virginia's natural beauty, the RVA Environmental Film Festival. And first, we're going to talk with Tamara Smith. So tell me, Tamara, what is your involvement in the Environmental Film Festival?
0: Jerry, I have been involved since the beginning of the RVA Environmental Film Festival. When was that? That was in 2011. But, you know, we have to recognize a man called John Wade. He spawned this whole idea of having a film festival back in 2008. Uh And he got a very big response with a one-day festival. And then in 2009, he tried it again. And he got very little attendance. Then he dropped and he moved out of the area. And the Sierra Club members were sort of left hanging because they thought this was really great. They wanted to continue this. So we made a decision in 2011 to have a comeback. We had a one-day festival, and the next year we had a two-day festival. You know, we were charging. We tried to charge admission to this, and we found out that people didn't really want to pay to see environmental movies. All right. About two years later, the idea came up that if we made it free based on lower costs because we were nonprofit, it would be much more rewarding to us and would increase attendance from about 300 people attending to over 2,000 in one week. Wow.
1: Now I'm assuming this year it will be all virtual, or is it going to be at the bird as well?
0: Last year was all virtual.
1: Sure, right.
0: And this year we tried to have a live, but the uh, situation was very questionable whether the bird theater would be open and would anybody attend. Right, right. <laughs> and so we made the decision to go virtual, at least in that part where the bird theater was involved. We have some films that are being played live, two at Henrico County Library, one at St. Stephen's, and one at the University of Richmond, which will be live uh, screenings. What is the best website? What is the uh, best place to find out more information? R-V-A-E-F-F dot org. And you can read all about our history, about the sponsors, and the films, most important, the films.
1: Now, I know you gave five awards. How many entries did you actually have?
0: I think we had about 13 entries.
1: Great. Okay. Okay.
0: About four years after we started the film festival, we invented the film contest.
1: The first place uh, award has been announced, and we're going to talk to some of those creators in a few minutes. But right now, we're thrilled to have Nick Garnhart with us. Welcome,
4: Nick. Thank you. Happy to be here. The birds of Richmond, Virginia need our help. Every day, they face more and more risks due to humans. What was the name of your movie? Uh, canaries in the coal mine.
1: Which is kind of an interesting, uh, well, we we know what that means, obviously. So who are you? I think you look like you might still be a student or you're right out of school if you're
4: not. Yeah, I'm in my senior year of college at Virginia Commonwealth University. Okay,
1: majoring in what?
4: Um, my uh, major is actually in the art school um, within communication arts, but I have a minor in environmental studies.
1: Oh, great. Well, it's perfect for making something like this. Give us the basic premise of your it was four minutes, right? Four and a half minutes.
4: Yeah. Um, the premise is all about birds, about the adversities that birds in Richmond are facing um, due largely to human involvement. Why birds are necessary for the environment, um, how they aid the ecosystem and humans alike. And then lastly, my film talks about uh, what individuals can do to kind of make a difference in their local- ecosystem to help birds
1: you must have had a lot of patience how long did it take you to shoot this because you must have a lot of patience because you've got a lot of incredible shots of birds doing stuff and i know you don't just walk out and find a bird doing that you got to hang around or maybe hide in the bushes?
4: There was a lot of hiding in the bushes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I went on a couple different outings um, on my own with um, some of my peers. And then I actually created this film as part of a class. The course was called Conservation Filmmaking.
1: And you're the narrator, I'm assuming, right?
4: Yes, yes, I am.
1: What do you plan to do when you graduate? Do you have any jobs lined up yet?
4: The question everyone wants to know. Um, Right, right. Yeah, I'm actually going to be working on an organic farm um, in Northern Virginia. It's called Mootoo Orchard. Yeah, they're a great group of people, um, have a really great community, and really care about the environment. So I'm excited to be here. So
1: I am now thrilled to be here with two of the creators of Headwaters Down that did win first place, Justin Black and Will Gemma. From the Blue Ridge
5: to our hometown, this is the story of the James River, from the headwaters
1: down. So Headwaters Down is the story of the James River and it's told through the eyes of five friends, including Justin and Will. They spent 13 days, went 250 miles down the river in all kinds of boats, mostly canoes and kayaks and things from the headwaters of the James all the way to Richmond. Pretty crazy movie. I saw it. It was beautifully shot, by the way. full of Lots of nature stuff. And of course, there's some nice little references in there to how that um, industry is destroying the river and has been for years. Uh, So first of all, Justin and Will, I think, Will, judging from the credits, you kind of wrote some of it while you were there, and then I noticed there were some segments in the documentary that were very poetic, and you were standing there saying them, and other times you were reading them, I'm like... I wonder if he's quoting somebody or if he's making that stuff up. And apparently you were making that stuff up.
5: Well, yeah, it was a little bit. It was a little bit of both. We did write a lot of, or I wrote a lot of that myself. We did loosely quote or, or kind of paraphrase Walt Whitman and John Muir at different times. And we, we kind of have a light credit for them. But yeah, definitely. A lot of it was just capturing the feeling and the poetics that we felt there and sharing that with people. Because we think that that can be such uh, a driving force uh, to motivate people to... Uh, not only experience it themselves, but to care in the first place.
1: Right. So who are you guys anyway? Are you filmmakers? I know that Dietrich edited the film and he's worked as an actor. Uh, and I know that Justin, you and Dietrich met at UVA, which is interesting because last week, the show, we had two guys who met at UVA and formed a production company. What's your guys' background? Are you into production? Or are you, you love the river and you decided to do this and grab some cameras? Or how did it come about? Well,
6: uh, we also met Will at UVA. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so there's three of us that were the co-creators, co-directors of this film. I noticed there was no
1: director credit on
6: there. Right. So we all kind of collaborated all the way through with this production, which is pretty unique. I have some background in uh, film production. I worked on locations for a bunch of films in the Richmond area. but I kind of got out of that to focus on music. And that's sort of what I brought to it is the soundtrack. We wanted to be listed as co-directors or right. co-creators right you know we've made a lot of short films in the past yeah. but this is kind of our first real effort into filmmaking
1: oh cool well it's, it's pretty impressive it's pretty amazing i tell you because as somebody who was a director for my whole career it must be interesting to have three people when you get to a decision of like okay are we going to do this or are we going to do this and some well you got three so i guess you could have majority rules did you ever get in that situation where it's like you know will wants this but justin wants this and damn it we're going to do it my way.
5: We we did a little bit. Yeah. We Rock, paper,
1: scissors. Yeah. A little
5: bit. Yeah. Of course, two votes are going to, to outweigh one. But you know, going back to us meeting, you know, in college and just knowing each other really well and for a long time, we never got into really any arguments. We um we just work really well together. Uh, we trust each other creatively, uh, which is enormous. You have to have sure. that if you're yeah. if you're gonna work with someone in that capacity. And then we also weren't afraid to, t- to try things out, even if it was gonna take more time.
1: So what made you to say, okay, we're going to make this trip and we're going to make a documentary out of it?
6: We had done some canoe trips on the James in the past. We decided, hey, let's do that trip that we've always wanted to do, which is go all the way from the beginning of the James all the way to our hometown in Richmond. You know, we wanted to try to tell the story, the living story of the river from an environmental standpoint, you know, as well as just from a recreational and, you know, try to tell the story of camaraderie and friendship. Right.
1: There's a uh, joke in the business, I don't know if you ever heard this, where they talk about available light, which usually means use the light that's available, but some people say that means they use every available light on the truck, which means they bring out way too many lights. (laughs) Y'all didn't have that, but you had available camera. I know there were DSLRs, obviously, you shot with, you had drones, you had GoPros. I don't know if the GoPros were underwater or if you had a special underwater camera, but you had a lot of cameras working on that thing, and everybody was working cameras whenever they weren't doing something else, right? Yeah,
5: I think we have like seven or eight cameras. Wow. Yep. Seven or eight cameras, different capabilities and and different flexibility. I mean, you know, one thing we were saying was just when you're out in nature and you're you're shooting from a canoe or from a campsite, I mean, things happen fast and you just have to be ready to, to get the shot. And so, you know, we had some big, some some big artillery cameras out there. We also had some things that we could just pull out quickly uh, to oh, just, to just get the shot and to be ready.
1: Oh, that's, I mean, yeah, there are some amazing shots. Like I remember one of the Eagle on the rock that you yeah. caught flying away and some other amazing shots that you just happened to catch, which were amazing. And, you know, it's funny, about halfway through watching it, I said, man, they're so lucky. The weather's just been perfect. <laughs> about <Yeah>. that time.
5: <laughs> yeah. Hard to be outside for two weeks and not hit some bad weather. Yeah. That would have been, been phenomenal. But it provides a different so. texture for the film, so.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It made it more interesting. So now, what was your shot ratio? Because you, I'm sure, with especially with seven cameras, you shot a ton of footage and you had to edit it down to 90 minutes. What was the ratio? Do you have any idea how many hours you actually shot and who had to get it down to all that? I think that was Dietrich, right?
5: It was, yeah. Again, we I think we had about 35 hours total. So 35 hours of total footage uh, came down to an hour 15. We all helped at times in the editing process. Dietrich really got into the nitty gritty and made it sing, you know, at the end.
1: I know, uh, Justin, you are credited with the soundtrack and you said you're a musician, so... That was pretty much a labor of love. After it was finished, you put the whole thing together?
6: Well, so as you can see in the film, we did have some guitars with us. Right, And right. we did do some field recordings, and that was a good place to start. But then, yes, I spent a couple months on the guitar and using um, Logic and some synthesizers and, and other fun things. And then Stephen, who uh, is the like fisherman on the trip, he plays pedal steel. So he contributed all the pedal steel onto Which, of stock. course,
1: he couldn't bring on the trip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> been, been a little long. I have to have his own boat just for that. <laughs> um, how did you get involved with the Environmental Film Festival? Did you say, we want to make this for this? Or did you say, we're going to make it and put these messages in there? And then they found it and said, wow, we love it.
5: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, um, for the environmental stuff, it was kind of like once we looked into it, we just kept finding more and more terrible but interesting things um and the the more we looked into these things the more we said wow we can we can get shots of these and use them if we want incorporate them into the story with the the voiceover narration
1: what are you you planning to try to hit other festivals now or are you going to make another one or what's
6: the future sort of both we've submitted to i think 13 or 14 different festivals Richmond Environmental Film Festival is the first one that we've heard from. And throughout the summer, pretty much now through the summer, we'll be hearing back from festivals. Hopefully within that, we can figure out some way of getting this film out. So we're looking for some sort of distribution. And we're also we've got a concept uh, that we're working on to sort of further the idea, potentially making like an episodic TV series
1: oh cool well you'll have to come back to the podcast when that happens and we'll do another talk
5: we would love to that'd be fantastic
1: well well, congratulations again i really enjoyed the film it is beautifully made and uh has some messages in there which of course is always good without banging us over the head congratulations to both of you and um i'll look forward to hearing about uh, what happens next well thank you so much thank you jerry sifter
0: review of the week
1: pam and tommy on hulu Most people remember the 1997 controversy around The Sex Tape of Pamela Anderson, played by Lily James, and Tommy Lee, played by Sebastian Stan. This series expands on their relationship to explore the disgruntled ex-contractor who discovered and exploited the tape, played by a somewhat slimmer Seth Rogen with a rockin' mullet. The mercurial duo is created with endless energy and sexual excitement. Lily James convincingly captures Anderson's insecurities and innocence while Stan effectively embodies Lee's erratic impulses and limitless ego, including his aggressive penis. Rogan generally subdues his typical goofy comic side. The details of the case are fascinating, especially considering it was in the early days of the internet. But many scenes take too long or feel repetitive. There could have been cuts and the camera tricks are sometimes silly. Still, this production provides a fascinating, fully fleshed version of the incident. I gave it three and a half out of five stars. Coming soon. In theaters, Death on the Nile. After being delayed for two years, Kenneth Branagh returns as Detective Perrault to solve a mystery on a luxury cruise. Marry Me, Jennifer Lopez plays a famous performer who discovers the man she's about to marry before a big audience has been cheating on her. So she ends up marrying an audience member, Owen Wilson. And Liam Neeson is back in another action thriller called Blacklight. Genius, a Kanye Trilogy Act 1, is a documentary about Kanye West's career that was shot over the past two decades. It also drops on Netflix on the 16th, with two other acts coming out weekly. Speaking of streaming, probably the most anticipated is Inventing Anna on Netflix on the 11th. The series stars Julia Garner, best known as the sassy blonde on Ozark, and was created by Shonda Rhimes. It's about a Russian-born social climber who scammed New York society. The Girl Before is on HBO Max on the 10th. This is a thriller about an unusual house in London, starring David Oyelowo. Also on HBO Max, Kimmy, a Steven Soderbergh thriller starring Zoe Kravitz as a tech worker who finds evidence of a crime but won't leave her apartment. I Want You Back drops on Amazon Prime on the 11th. It's about two friends who can't get over their breakups, starring Charlie Day and Jenny Slate. Finally, Bel Air drops on the 13th on Peacock, It's a new version of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. For more sister, including literally thousands Thousands of of reviews, reviews.
0: visit tvjerry.com.
3: That's a wrap.